Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to The Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Tuesday. It's January the 16th. It is cold outside. Iowa is now in the rear view, which means we have to talk about it. And all kinds of other things are happening around the world, including a trans slaying wave crossing Mexico. Did you know this? We're going to talk about it. Texas is standing up to the federal government. That's not nothing. And it's Davos time. You guys remember Davos? Let's talk about that, too, in just a little bit here. Before we do that, I want to say thanks to my buddies over at 4Patriots. They are supporting our show this month. I got a little little bundle of things for you guys to take a look at here. This is the landing planes. These are the new arrivals at 4Patriots.com slash Kyle. 4Patriots.com slash Kyle. You guys can jump in and get yourself squared away with an emergency tote. that has got the emergency radio that you saw uh, winding for multiple days here, what I'm calling the zombie radio. It's got first aid, it's got water, it's got food, it's got the lemon bars, I'm into that, it's got a cool tote, that may be a one-stop solution for you. Um, It's cold, and things are stupid, so you should prepare yourself. You don't want to get caught unawares, you don't want to get caught unprepared. They've also got some of the higher ticket items out there, like that 2000X Patriot Power Generator running at 3K right now, but 71 five-star reviews, that's a pretty hefty thing. Guys might want to check into keeping your power supply going, whether it's small power, like a little mini portable power cell that you can keep your comms going, or whether it's something larger so you can run one or two major appliances that you want to make sure that you can keep running in your house. Check out 4Patriots.com slash Kyle. Again, 4Patriots.com slash Kyle. Are we ready? Today's got a lot of stuff going on. And um, let's start with the obvious. Trump won, but... That's not the whole story, is it? I feel like half the time what I'm doing here, uh, they always say like news is reporting what happened and then this is like politics, which is what what it means. And what it means is the Never Nikki crowd better step up their game because Nikki is in play if you ask the mainstream media. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you go to. That is true. But forget aisles. Let's talk about borders first because the Texas governor, Greg Abbott, is in a neat and interesting and God willing, prolonged standoff with the federal government right now. And we're going to talk about this. We're going to dig in just a bit. The Texas Tribune, who was quite upset about this, Texas Tribune is a pretty left-leaning organization, uh, has reported for the last week or so that uh, the federal government is complaining that the Texas National Guard is blocking Border Patrol From an entire section of the border. Now, this entire section of the hundreds miles long Texas border is 2.5 miles. And it basically is just a single boat ramp and a little park called Shelby Park in Eagle Pass, Texas, which if you've never been to the Texas border, it's like a little outpost on the way. And the Justice Department is very upset that they cannot access this. They're so upset, in fact, that they are complaining They're getting their media buddies to talk about it. It's a total of 47 acres, and you've got the Texas National Guard taking, quote-unquote, full control, according to the Texas Tribune. It says uh, National Guard and state troopers have been blocking this thing off. It's only a a two-and-a-half-mile stretch. It's across the Rio Grande. It's right in the heart of Eagle Pass, which is, you know, not big. (laughs) But there's there's a fairly decent city on the other side that is the issue, and what we're dealing with is... 
the Texas government trying to exercise a little bit of breaking action on the unbelievable flow. If you guys remember when we were, well, when I was younger, we used to say that there was possibly as many as 10 million illegal aliens in this country. 10 million illegal aliens was like the 80s talking point. Now we're in the 20s maybe. What's wild is, is that almost 4 million came over last year in 2022. It's like 3.7 million. That's what they know about. That's not even the estimates of the gotaways and the people who just like slipped in in ways that we weren't looking at. That, to me, looks like full-scale invasion. Now, the real problem that we should have when we're looking at this situation is that Article 4 of the United States Constitution, the founders saw the need for the federal government was to be the largest and most powerful only in a very limited number of circumstances. And Section 4... Section 4 of Article 4 of the United States Constitution states, I'm just going to read it in its entirety. The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union, number one, a Republican form of government. Oh, that's weird. A Republican form of government, that's not a democracy. No, it's not. It actually says it right here in the Constitution. We will not have democracies at the state level. And shall protect each of them against invasion. Now, there's a reason why the right-wing media continues to use the word invasion over and over again, and it's right here in Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution, signed all the way back in the 1790s. The entire purpose was that the federal government's job was to handle federal problems, like a national border, like protection against invasion. Okay? And... That's the mandate. That's the charge. It's also really interesting that it says shall guarantee. The words shall in a legal sense are very useful. It's not may guarantee, which means that they have the possibility and they have the uh, the authority to exercise a little bit of discussion. Hey, do we, do we want to do this? Do we not want to do this? There was a big dis- uh, decision for gun rights recently. And you guys may remember the Bruin decision. And what it basically put to rest was the difference between shall issue for gun permits and may issue. The may issue state said that they had discretion over it, that they could decide whether or not you had a Second Amendment right to carry a firearm, to bear arms as the U.S. Constitution guarantees you. Okay? Shall is a mandate. Shall means you must. You can say the United States must guarantee. And who is the person that is the chief executive of the United States, that's the U.S. president. In this case, Joe Biden sitting in that office must guarantee, must guarantee protection against invasion and is currently failing to do so. So what we are seeing at this moment, we're seeing the governor of Texas, the largest state in the continuous 48, he is doing something that has not been done before. He's using state authorities and saying, fine, the federal government doesn't really want to do this. We're going to do it. This is almost the reverse of what you've seen in the sanctuary city movement, what you've seen in the uh, legalized marijuana movement, where the federal government is saying this thing and and then the states are saying, ah, ha, but we will not do this. The state is now saying we're going to enforce federal law under state law and they've passed a state law. And this stand down is very important because if the federal government is derelict in its duties and the states step in, tends to make the argument for the anti-federalist, does it not? The original anti-federalist, which said a strong national government is not necessary. The states need to be basically autonomous. It's very interesting to watch this happen in real time. And of course, it's upsetting 
It's truly upsetting to the Biden administration. And in, and as such, in, in perfectly um, mirror momenting, we have the Biden administration writing a very strong letter. They are telling the Texas government to cease and desist on all the border access because a woman and two children died trying to get over. Two people who were breaking our laws, trying to enter our country illegally, died in the process. If we were really serious people, we would go after whoever it was that was enabling those folks. And maybe the, the government of Mexico ought to do that. But two people, a woman and two children, died attempting to cross the Rio Grande illegally into Eagle Pass, Texas, which has now prompted a sternly written letter. It's kind of nice to see a sternly written letter on the other side, that impotent action of putting words on paper that has no legal force. You must cease and desist. It's kind of refreshing to see that. The general counsel for the Department of Homeland Security, who's representing the federal government, is a guy named Jonathan Meyer. And he wrote, Texas actions also improperly seek to regulate the federal government. I'm writing to demand that Texas immediately cease and desist any actions taken by the state that block Border Patrol full access to the U.S.-Mexico border in and around the Shelby Park area. Again, this is a, this is a symbolic place. It obviously doesn't represent the entirety of the Texas border. It's a very small location, but it was a location that the federal government had set up in. It's a city or a state park. I can't tell which the which um, organization funds it, the money, but my guess is that it's a city park, which means it's on state land. And it was being taken over by Border Patrol as a processing center for people who have illegally come to this country. Because the Biden administration seems very, very confident that they are going to just release people with impunity and claim that they are, in fact, defending our borders, that they are keeping and protecting the state of Texas from invasion. And Greg Abbott is basically making the opposite argument, and he's putting his money where his mouth is. Finally, after so many years, we now have people from our National Guard being called up by the governor, and they are going up. And they are reinforcing one section. It's not the only section. This has been going on for months, by the way, folks. So I've just kind of been watching it to see what the uh, the, the swing back is going to be on the federal government side. And right now, it's a sternly worded letter that was written two days ago. So that's sort of refreshing, like I say. Um, is there is there anything that's really uh, that's of note in this letter? Maybe. It says that the, they quote the Constitution. So that might be the first time that they've actually been forced to read it. Except what they actually do is they go to constitutional law as defined by the uh, the U.S. Supreme Court. They said that the government of the United States has broad and undoubted powers over the subject of immigration and the status of non-citizens and securing the nation's borders. But what if they objectively have abdicated that responsibility? Then what do we do? What do we do when the United States government is not meeting its mandate? It shall guarantee, and it is failing to do so. Does that make its authorities null and void in that case if it's if it's walked away from its responsibilities and duties to the people? See, the people in, in our federal government right now, what they'd love to think is that the government has authority and you must listen to it. But what they forget is the other people, the, the people that sort of fund the government, you know, us, we the people part of it, the part where the people have established the government in order to serve them. The government is not waiting for us to serve what they're about. It is designed to serve us and our interests, and it's not doing that. So how do you deal with that? And I think the state has to do it. I think what's most interesting, and I threw it on the on the screen, I think earlier, um, right up at the top here, 
The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited to it by the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. So I've advocated for quite a while now that we have what I would call a 10th Amendment revolution in this country, where the states start looking at the explicit powers of the federal government, which are enumerated in a fairly short document. You can carry the entire Constitution. Obviously, you can carry it on your phone, but you can carry it all in your pocket in paper. It's fairly easy to read. And you can decide whether or not, pretty objectively, based on the writing and the words that were written at the time, whether or not the federal government has any business getting involved in things. And I would say overwhelmingly, the the U.S. code continues to grow and metastasize like cancer, and it's time to do a little bit of cutting. The states need to claim back their authorities. And if Texas is the first one to do it, and it's going to go head to head and say, hey, not only do we not necessarily have this authority, but you've abdicated it, we're going to take it, we're going to fill in that power vacuum, and by the way, we're going to start taking back some of our other rights, that would be fantastic. I don't know if Greg Abbott has it in him, but it'd be really, really nice to start seeing the states do the job of stopping the federal government. The state is supposed to actually be the blockade. We're going to actually talk about why state governments are so important. I'm going to tell you about that towards the end. That'll be the last thing that we cover down on. It's just a little thing that's sneaking around right now that's happening in Wisconsin, and you guys will appreciate that. Um, before we do that, let's let's take a quick break. Let's talk about people who actually do love this country. They're a good company. They've been with us since the beginning. Um, you know, we don't get funding. Like nobody has to pay to watch our show. You guys made it. I had this like funny little conversation on, on social media the other day. And this guy was, uh, I love the grifter, the word grifter. It's really coming to the lexicon. We used to call people con men or frauds. Um, if you'll notice, you guys can watch the show for nothing. And if you want to support our sponsors, then you have that opportunity. And we give you a way to track that sort of thing. People supported our sponsors and used not our promo code. And that's okay too. Like, you know, they don't, they can't track all of the, of the business we generate. But the fun thing is, is that when somebody comes out there and says, we want to put money behind your show so that you can do this, and we do this full-time. This is what I do full-time. I sit here, and I read, and I go through all of this information, and I try to suss it out to be something of value. And if it is valuable to you, then you can also choose, like, hey, you know, these people support him. Here's my friends over at Patriot Coolers. And I've got the uh, the 19th ounce on my desk. I'm going to give away the, uh, the the Yeti that we have. My wife will be uh, not thrilled because she likes the way it looks. It's pretty and it's forest green. You can buy a forest green version of this as well. But our tumblers for Patriot coolers, vastly superior and outperform the Yeti in a head-to-head. So that was the first time I've accidentally done that. And I want to highly recommend that you guys check out stuff like their, their tumblers. Not only do they have an air gap the way that our, our election should have, but they actually do a job that they're supposed to do, which is keep your things hot or keep them cold. Check out PatriotCoolers.com. You can follow them on social media at PatriotCoolers. And the promo code across all the platforms is always Kyle, K-Y-L-E. In this case, it's going to give you 10% off if you spend 50 bucks, which is easy enough to do. If you start getting in there and you're like me, you're like, oh, do I want to spend six bucks on shipping or do I want to spend another like 10 bucks to get another uh, you know item? I'm that guy. You may find yourself getting a little some of their accessories because they've got some hats and they've got some other kind of fun stuff. They all say Patriot. They're all branded with things in the right colors and the right scheme and the right verbiage. They say something right up front that probably resonates with you, especially if you're pissed off about this border situation. You like this country as it is and you want it to do its job. Check out Patriot Coolers, Houston company, good people. They reached out to us for what it's worth. They reached out and said, hey, we'd like to sponsor you. And that's pretty cool. That's a nice thing to have people that want to get in and support what you're up to. Go to patriotcoolers.com again or follow them on social media. They're on True Social. They're on Twitter, uh, now X, at Patriot Coolers with an S on the end. Promo code is Kyle, K-Y-L-E. All right. Um, 
Let's get to the news of the day, I guess the big news of the day or whatever, if you will. This is, um, it's not just what's going on in, in Iowa, which just wrapped up last night. It's also what the mainstream media is covering on both sides of the aisle. You know, I always go over and see what the, uh, with the CBS folks and the ABC and the, and the supposedly nonpartisan AP and so on and so forth. I want to know what everybody is saying about it. And they all have the same message, which is the message we reported to you yesterday. I think that's the proxy analysis that needs to be done. But uh, if you haven't been paying attention, if you're just waking up now, uh, Donald Trump dominated the Iowa caucuses all day yesterday. Uh, going late into the night, we have the results popping in. The uh, Fox News said that he, he dominated and that uh, Ron DeSantis was taking second place. I've got a little list of the polls up there right there. You can see Donald Trump got 51% and 21 delegates, or sorry, 20 delegates of the 40. And then uh, you see what else is out there. You see that uh, DeSantis and Nikki Haley combined still less than Donald Trump. That didn't have to be so, but it was. So even if you were to combine the two, the second and the third place finishers in that particular poll, what you see is less support than Donald Trump. Also of note, Vivek Ramaswamy dropping out, throwing his support behind Donald Trump. I don't know if he picks up those delegates or how that works out at the moment. Uh, sort of irrelevant, but uh, he's out of the race, so you're not going to hear any more of the Vivek things. People think it was a death blow. This may have been the game all along. It's a lot of money to run around. It's a lot of work, and I've dealt with uh, Vivek's campaign. They were really nice people. They were really sharp. We got to see them in uh, in New Hampshire. I went up and sat on a stage with him. He's a sharp guy. I hope that he uh, pushed the needle when it came to the policy positions he was talking about, specifically defunding specific federal agencies. I hope that is the case. Um, but what we saw in the coverage of this, you know, the performance is one thing, and the performance was overwhelmingly Donald Trump, which is exactly what we've said, basically going back to the moment that they first indicted him in New York and then indicted him federally. It was very simple, and it was very obvious that this is Donald Trump's race. The question was, how much is it Donald Trump's race? And the answer is, overwhelming. Now, the stuff that you're seeing on screen here is kind of interesting. Uh, if you look on the bottom right-hand side, what we have here is that non-MAGA supporters, so uh, they, they did some polls and they did exit polls and, and entrance polls trying to figure out what is the Iowa uh, base who are interested in showing up for this primary, for this caucus. What, what are these people made of? And basically six out of 10 of them describe themselves as MAGA. And overwhelmingly, the so-called MAGA people support Donald Trump. I don't know who the MAGA people are that don't support Donald Trump. That's a bizarre number. The fact that it was only 60%, maybe the polling. And that, that should tell us a little bit about the questions they were answering. They may have been confusing. Uh, and because <laughs> if the Donald Trump supporters are not overwhelmingly like 100% supporting Donald Trump, that's really bizarre. However, of the non-MAGA supporters, so of the 40% that was left over that don't identify as MAGA, 42% of them support Haley, supposedly, if you believe this poll which I'm not sure I do. And then they ran an entire little section, this is even on Fox, talking about Haley's strengths. And her strengths are is that she was strongest among college graduates. Oh, people who might otherwise lean left. And suburban caucus goers. So that, and then people who think that abortion should be legal. Despite her pro-life stance, which is what she claims, she supposedly has a pro-life stance, right? They're, they're still pumping this Nikki Haley thing. What's really interesting, too, there's a, an entire piece, I think, over, it might have been CBS, but it could have been Fox as well. I've been reading a bunch of this stuff. And what I took away from it was, is that, here it is. This is, it's CBS actually saying this. 
I want you to just think about the cognitive dissonance that has to happen for you to write this piece. Uh, the piece is entitled, DeSantis takes second place over Haley in Iowa caucuses, vowing to remain in the 2024 race. Okay, that's fair enough. Here's what it says. Florida Governor Rod DeSantis finished second in Monday's Iowa caucuses, in the Republican caucuses, trailing former Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump, uh, but coming out ahead of Nikki Haley. Okay, fine. That's just like a flat, that's what happened. The second paragraph. A third place finish could have delivered a fatal blow to the Florida governor's campaign. He largely staked his fortunes on the Hawkeye State, where he devoted most of his time and resources in the run-up to the primary season. So if he finished third, that would have been a fatal blow to his campaign. Now they want to talk about Nikki Haley and how great she is, even though she finished third, which they just said could have been a fatal blow. Haley, meanwhile, claimed that the results in the primary uh, made it a two-person race. She got third place, but now it's a two-person race. Is she in the two-person race? She's not hanging up her spikes right now. She's going to stay in. She's going to go into the New Hampshire primary, which is on the 23rd. How much sense does this make? Nikki Haley supposedly just, uh, you know, should have her death blow, according to the people that just wrote this article. But what it tells us overwhelmingly is that they are so interested in trying to prop up a Nikki Haley. And it doesn't matter whether you go to Fox where you see what her strengths are and her strengths are people who have college degrees and moderates and people who love abortion. You know, people that probably otherwise lean closer to the political left. She's trying to they're trying to act like she's the, the middle ground candidate. But as I said yesterday, she's the great candidate for like 20, you know, 2002. In 2002, Nikki Haley would have been great. She could have run against Bush. And she would have been an interesting candidate, I suppose, because she was a woman. Um, end of the day, if you don't think that these people will immediately pivot and say, oh, notice Nikki Haley, she was in the Trump administration, so she's no good. Um, what's also kind of interesting is there's some additional polling. And, and we should always take these polls with a grain of salt because they say one thing, but then they could be construed any way that you like. In this particular polling says that Nikki Haley would be the best candidate to run against Republican contenders. Oh, interesting. That's the way that the uh, the CBS crowd played it. Okay. Daily Wire says that Trump, DeSantis, or Haley would all beat Biden. And that's the real answer. Because when you look in and you get down and you pull them up on the screen and you, and you read through what these results were, if people had to choose between Nikki Haley and Joe Biden, supposedly it's a 53 Haley, 45 Biden. But if you pulled them up against Donald Trump, Donald Trump is still ahead with a three-point margin of error which is basically a toss-up. And it's a narrow, narrow, narrow victory when you talk about it in uh, Nikki Haley. And this is just a small number of people. Like how many people were polled? Not very many. CBS, YouGov, these things do like 1,000, 1,500. So how representative are they in real life? I don't know. Let's wonder, what do the polls mean? Like, are these polls uh, of value? Are they actually giving us some real information? How about we look at performance first? Should we look at performance? Somebody in the chat earlier was asking, you know, how, how important is this 51%? Let's do it on a screen. You guys want to see it visually? This is what it looks like visually. Trump wins big in Iowa. This is CNN reluctantly reporting. Trump wins big in Iowa. DeSantis edges out Haley for second. The bottom map that you see there that is checkered, all of those yellow counties, there's 99 counties in Iowa, and all of those yellow counties are Ted Cruz victories. All of the red counties are Donald Trump. That's the bottom. That's in 2016 when he when he won and went on to beat Hillary Clinton. 
And then uh, who else was in there? Uh, Rubio, I think. So Rubio's in the dark, uh, the the like the blood red instead of the uh, the maroon red. So it's a mixed bag. And Ted Cruz took the state. I want you to look at the top right hand side on the screen right now. And if you're missing it, what you're seeing is all of the counties. Ninety eight of them. One county did not go for Donald Trump this time. That's how much more conclusively his margin for victory was versus 2016. All right. So you've got and Nikki Haley took the only one which was in uh, looks like Iowa City. Is that right? Yeah, that's the only that's the only county that went for Nikki Haley. And DeSantis got a mixed bag all the way across the state. Didn't win a single county outright. That is a big big difference and that is a major like more than 2x performance from 2016 to 2024. And what does it say? One, it's a very definitive victory as Rose Lopez in our chat just said. It's definitive. 100%. But it also tells you that these polls and this push for this Nikki Haley thing, they're pretty iffy. They don't make a lot of sense to me. Let's throw it one more time. There's another little thing on the screen to look at. Again, here's the numbers. 56,000 people voting Donald Trump. It's not that many people. This is why you guys have to get out and do your voting. <laughs> your primaries are actually fairly small. If you want to move the needle and you have a strong feeling one way or another, I'm not voting in Texas. I've already said that. I don't vote in the primary here because I'm not registered as a party and I'm not particularly interested because I probably won't even be in Texas when they uh, when they end up doing the final vote. But let's put it this way. And Trump's going to win here. Let's be real. Donald Trump, 56,000. DeSantis, 23. Nikki Haley, 21. So a two-point margin of error. And then if you were to add those two up, you get to 40 and Trump beat both of them combined by 11, 11 percentage points. It's a massive victory. So they're trying to downplay it pretty much everywhere you look. Fox News, CBS, NBC, AP, CNN. Everybody wants to prop up this Nikki Haley thing. I don't know why. Does it make any sense? Well, if you remember, we played this for you yesterday, and I did want to play it again just because it made me laugh. Um, you don't have to watch the guy's body language this time. Let's just listen. What do the polls say? Because the polls say a lot of things. looks like Nikki's really got a good shot. Here's what people in Nikki's camp are saying as covered by Fox. Like I said, it's always interesting to see who they're trying to prop up. I actually think she's going to do very well tomorrow. I think people might be surprised. Um, you know, her polls have been going up. And uh, I know a lot of people think that Trump has it in the bag already. But if she does well and then goes on to a couple of the next states and does well, I think she could be our nominee. It, it's hard to tell until the caucus is over. <laughs> it's hard to tell, except she lost. I don't know why I find that to see so amusing, but that guy is great. And what is he kind of looking at? He's looking at, I don't know, you, it's kind of like a Bongino rule, is it not? Where you just kind of wait and see what happens. Maybe that would be the right answer. Look at this. I pulled this because I was really curious. This came from USA Today, another left-leaning source. This came just a couple of days before the caucus, before um, our, the elections that went on on Monday, or the uh, the caucusing that goes, goes on yesterday. <laughs> Nearly half of Republican caucus goers say Donald Trump is their first choice. That's not surprising. He overperformed, right? He went 51%, even though he was polling at 48. Nikki Haley was supposedly at 20%, and she only performed at 19. She underperformed, according to these polls. And DeSantis overperformed as well. So that just tells you. I agree with her. She is. It is a two-person two race. It's between DeSantis and Donald Trump. And the margin of victory is now 2x, it looks like, at least in this first little area. But that seems to be the case. And I'd be shocked to find it. doesn't mean that DeSantis isn't a decent candidate. doesn't mean that there should be a lot of, like, animosity towards him. Like, all of that is totally negative. That's people pissing in their own tent. 
It's very weird to see. Like, just let the best person win who's going to represent the platform. And the, the purpose that has always happened, and I guess people, like, forget this every four years, but the reason that we have these primary seasons, particularly when we have a really, really strong candidate up front, is that people want to move the platform forward. People like Vivek Ramaswamy are incredibly important. He outperformed, I think, what people would have expected for a guy, as he said, a little guy with a funny name. And he is a little guy. He's way smaller than me. He's very bright, and he speaks really well, and he moved the platform forward. He moved it forward because he was showing this is what's important. Like, we need to be talking about these things. The stuff, the reason that Vivek was so popular was specifically because he was speaking to the populist agenda of our federal government is, is overreaching. It's not, it's not solving things at the border. And he was coming forward with some plans. So one would hope that Donald Trump's camp looks at it and goes, okay, these were pretty valuable. Look, he got way more than he should have. He massively overperformed in most, in like for what he is and for his name recognition prior to getting started. I mean, he was on Tucker Carlson a couple of times. You guys remember? Go back, rewind the clocks. That's basically who he was. He was doing financial analysis, talking about DEI on Tucker Carlson's show. And that's how he basically launched out. He moved the needle. Moved the needle in a, in a good way, positively, in ways that we should all listen to. So that's a value. And if he's in the Trump administration or not, he still did something pretty valuable for me. That's what's really relevant, I think. Uh, like, again, these, these polls, we take them with a grain of salt. But what they're actually showing is that Donald Trump is overperforming based on what they said. I think that's probably true. That's worth keeping in mind when you hear the, uh, you know, Nikki Haley would do better in a head-to-head -head matchup against um, Donald Trump. Well, she just underperformed and Donald Trump just overperformed. So you might be able to just switch those numbers. The fact of the matter is, is that Biden is not performing and people know that, even people on the political left. He's got a diehard group of people that are going to always vote for him because they don't pay attention and they don't really care. And then you've got sort of like the chaos, the chaos of, how much are these things slanted? How much of it is because of bad questioning, like we just said? How is it that you found that the MAGA people, six out of 10 people in Iowa who identify as MAGA, that only 77% of those people said they were going to vote for Donald Trump? Like, that doesn't make any sense. You could just kind of punch holes in this stuff on its foolishness. Um, I want to... <laughs> I want to say thanks to my buddies at Catholic Vote because they're covering down on a lot of this and today's loop is quite good. So I think you guys should uh, definitely check that if you're not getting it. I checked it just before the show went live and they hit on a bunch of these topics, um, including stuff about the EPA, talk about government overreach and failure that's in there. They're talking about how a um, how even now Illinois governor is starting to feel the heat on the border. Good story on that one. And then lastly, Nikki Haley, again, trying to tack down the middle. She won't give a straight answer about trans stuff. She's so pro-life that she's actually going to be not conservative whatsoever. You guys can get all that stuff by going to The Loop. Just go to catholicvote.org. It's catholicvote.org. Put in your email address in there, and you will be having access to their emails every morning, which I get. Usually, I'm already awake. You can also make a donation if you want to do it. They are in the fight for faith, family, and freedom. They are a nonprofit. They are a 501c4. They have a 501c3. they got a couple of different advocacy groups. But what are they doing? They are pushing the needle on conservative values, faith, family, freedom. These things are not unique to Catholic Americans. They are actually pretty much broadly Christian values. And more importantly, they're pretty just conservative values straight up. So check out Catholic Vote. I'm a big fan of them. I'm actually going to be spending um, a couple days. It's kind of an imposition because I'm going to be offline here. I will be playing you guys some wonderful um, interviews that we've logged in. 
and you guys are going to get more perspective. I didn't plan it this way, but both of the guys that I interviewed ended up being Catholic, which is kind of strange. It was totally accidental. It was one person, uh, uh, J. Michael Waller, who we're going to hear from tomorrow. He just released a book, which is available today. You guys can check that out, and it'll be on tomorrow's show. It'll go uh, scheduled live very soon, right after we finish up today. And uh, and Mike Waller, super neat guy, really, really good perspective, and has like, got this very crazy, cool personal story. And uh, amusingly... You know, it kind of reveals that he was Catholic. I didn't know that before we started talking. It's not relevant to uh, any of the story other than there's some fun stuff that happened in the Catholic Church with the director of the CIA. You guys are going to want to tune in tomorrow for that if you have not uh, made it part of your normal day. Definitely check into that one. And then, um, all right, so let's push on. Let's push on a little bit. There's some weird things that are going on. I I went to the AP because I wanted to see if they're covering... Nikki Haley and they're pushing and we're all focused on local politics of, of, of what's happening in one state, which is nationally significant, but it's still one state. Mm. What else is going on out there? What other agendas? Do you guys ever listen to NPR? You ever just like turn on NPR just to see what the like the loony left um, thinks about? My wife and had this funny con- this conversation the other day. Apparently her her. Uh, Family members used to make her mixtapes of like songs and stuff that came off the radio because when I asked her, I was like, do you remember that song from the 80s? And she was like, yeah, but I don't know how I knew it because I never listened to radio with music. My dad only listened to NPR, which used to be somewhat sensible, even if it was on the left. And uh, now my buddy who who drives around and, and works for the FBI and spends a bunch of time. Uh, behind the wheel and the windshield, he's always telling me, he's like, all right, so here's the update on what NPR is interested in. It's all trans all the time. There are trans Nigerians that are getting, you know, this and this thing is bad and so on and so forth. So he's constantly keeping me updated on what's going on with the trans situation. And uh, yep, the AP is not, not an exception. It's kind of an NPR-like thing. Here's a great story you didn't know about, but there is a uh, a wave, a wave Let's see how big that wave is in one second. But a wave of transgender slangs going on in Mexico, spurring anger and protests by the LGBTQ plus community. It's a picture of a guy wearing a hat. Looks like kind of like an artist. He looks like a real dude. And there's a lady. She's very upset. And they're protesting the murder of a transgender activist. Now, should we be uh, dismissive of people dying in other places? No, but I think that when you get right down to it, there's an awful lot of bad things that are happening in the United States. The fact that they're covering down on this with such um, with such outrage, the killing spurred outrage. They use the word itself right there among members of the LGBT community. It spawned a protest. You guys have any idea that Mexico City is bigger than any city in the United States and 100 people got together? Like you can get more than that to protest in favor of Hamas in New York City. It's just you know, is this really outrage? No, it's just trying to blow up something. Three trans- transgender people have been killed in the first two weeks of 2024. They're saying that they're targeted slangs. That's actually not a very good thing at all for human rights. Nobody wants that. But the problem is, is that these, uh, what they want to do is they want to go after the politicians and they're trying to blame the entirety of Mexican culture, which is exactly what the AP, this nonpartisan organization, is going out and saying. It says uh, the gay and transgender populations. By the way, mixing gay and transgender populations, it may actually make more sense. It used to really bother me when they would say that because I know gay people and they're not confused about what to do with their genitals. I don't necessarily agree with what they do with them, but the, that's their business. And as long as it's two consenting adults, we sort of, I'm, I'm almost like a Nikki Haley in that one. I kind of just don't want to get into it. I have a religious issue with it, but politically it's like, it's none of my damn business. I thought we got there in the nineties and maybe that's just my formative years. Um, they're, they're trying to make the claim that there was a brutality. A brutality is what? Like being shot? Like that happens in every major urban area right now. And it happens really aggressively in uh, Ecuador. 
they've actually had something like a 200% increase in their homicides uh, and shootings, which I, I just all cover down on later. But anyway, uh, transgender and gay populations, hard to make that sort of movement other than what it seems like is most of the activist level transgender people are what uh, the Mexican president has referred to as men dressed as women. <laughs> He's calling it exactly as it seems. And as it is, it's a dude in a dress. And we used to like that. That used to be like a bizarre sexual fetish in the 80s. It was not a mainstream idea that you'd be talking about that and then trying to attribute them to like the way that women work. I mean, the AP is is so radical. Uh, 55 year old Zamalia. That's with an H. I mean, with an X rather. Or maybe it's Jamalia uh, Ramirez said the violence was partly the consequence. Uh, the, the violence was was the president's fault because he referred to a transgender congresswoman, which is really a man, as a man in a dress. So the Mexican president calling things as they actually are. Our, our president can't do that, uh, at least not the one that's sitting there right now. And then apparently somebody was killed, and so that's the fault of the president. That's what they're going to lay it on. Uh, they're trying to basically bully all of their political agendas and all the sort of wacky, just non-normal takes I had a, a conversation the other day, and I think I, I think I had it with uh, it might have been with Mike Waller. We said this very simple. It was like we used to just call these people weirdos. You can be a weirdo, and in the United States, it's actually a really safe place to be a weirdo compared to the rest of the world. Think about that. If you were going to be a weirdo anywhere in the world, would you want to go to like Tanzania, or would you want to go to China, or would you want to take your take a risk in Poland or Russia? Would you rather be in the United States? Like, we are very incredibly weirdo tolerant in this country, which I think is good in some ways, because it allows people to try to find the right path. If we are truly a Christian nation, and, and the United States is undoubtedly that, at least by founding, then, you know, we'll work on the, the plank in our own eye, and we'll let other people deal with respect. We don't have to stone everybody to death. We have this pretty Christian attitude that's like, well, if you're without without any sins, uh, maybe maybe... You throw the first stone, and then nobody does it. It's okay. It's okay to be like that. Our justice system doesn't need to go after people for being social weirdos. Right up until you start touching kids. Um, we've got a um, the 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 doctor, the whistleblower doctor, who is uh, in the state of Texas that was exposing Texas Children's Hospital. I've just made contact with him through kind of a back channel. He and I have been talking. He's a really, really cool guy. Uh, young. He's like in his early 30s and super sharp. And... Everybody who's who's decided to blow the whistle has basically done it. Everyone that I'm seeing that is calling out major government abuse, they do it because they come from a position of faith. They come from a position of knowing that there is a an, an absolute moral right and wrong, which this country just forgot in the last year, like five years. I think basically about the time I joined the FBI in 2015, 2016 was when they decided that nobody here could tell you what like what an, an absolute right or wrong was. And speaking of right and wrong, oh man, this one's weird. Okay, so uh, like I said, I, I started digging around. I was like, if we're talking about Iowa, what are we not talking about? And what we're not talking about, it's Davos. All right, it's Davos. This is the coverage of Davos. I'm going to do a couple of little pieces up here that I want to talk about. The first one, this is coming from Reuters. They're fantastic as well, as you guys probably know. That's sarcasm. Uh, the EU's von der Leyen warns that the West is slackening its support for Ukraine. Do you guys remember them? Holy moly, we're not giving enough money to Ukraine. We have to ensure all of the money goes to Ukraine. Please continue to open your hearts and your bank accounts to Ukraine. 
here's what, uh, and it's always fun the way they write these stories. So they literally took a direct quote and they, uh, and they made that the opening line, except they didn't put it in quotation marks. The West must not let up on supplying Ukraine with weapons and money if it wants Kiev to succeed in its war against Russia. Has anyone been told, have we been told at all what success looks like? Like Ukraine gets to hold on to territory. Is that is that it? That it's just a rubble pile? I, I happen to know some people that are in sort of this bizarre international space of business and stuff, and they meet with some like real shady characters. Um, interesting people reach out and talk to me, and some of the people that I knew were always kind of interesting. And and <laughs> the story is, is there's like a bunch of Ukrainian oligarchs that have already carved up this country, and they're going to turn it into whatever they want it to be. They just need the war to stop. And the question is, is how much devastation will it be? But it doesn't really matter as long as the U.S. is going to back it. Like they have unlimited money to rebuild whatever they want. And it's going to be tyrannical in the same way that it's been. Here's another little quote. She says, uh, Ukraine can prevail in this war. What does that look like? What is Ukrainian prevailing? Like Russia's not going anywhere. It's enormous. And it's just a meat grinder that has no problem throwing millions of people into conflict. If we look at any of the past wars that Russia has been able to do in, and 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 Putin, as you guys may hear, we'll have a little bit of a discussion about it tomorrow on on the podcast. But you know, Putin is a nationalist, and he's looking at you, Ukrainian, and he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm going to grab pieces of my of my old country back. Okay, I don't know what I don't know what it looks like, but we must continue to empower their resistance. You hear these vague words. None of those are a concrete plan of what success looks like. That that is very troubling to me in a lot of ways, mostly because it looks like an unlimited check mostly by the United States and some of the Western powers, just throwing money unaccountable into places that are clearly without the ability to do any real auditing and cannot track the cash. Ukrainians need predictable financing. That's what Ukrainians need. You guys probably knew that. They don't need peace and um, and a negotiated uh, armistice and a cessation of hostilities. No, they need predictable financing. It sounds like they're they're talking about their own bank accounts. They need a sufficient and sustained supply of weapons to defend and regain rightful territory. If anybody believes that that's happening, that the offensive is going to come back, it just the narrative there has completely fallen. But of course, Reuters is happy to pick it up. And as you're seeing, Zelensky is going to go to Davos. He's a wartime president that is besieged on all sides. Do you remember those absolute bullshit claims? That there were like uh, Russian hit squads that were running after him, and he was running around. That's why he was wearing that 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 cheap uh, green sweater, or um, you know, sweatshirt. Like his sweatshirt is not even as nice as the Suspendables merch. It's bizarre. And in the meantime, he's running to Davos, flying off on private jets to go to a Swiss ski resort where he can talk to people who have a bunch of money. Basically, keeping you want to talk about the grift of the con, keeping the long term con of money dropping into Ukraine. Insane, absolutely insane, which is, of course, the title of Dan's book or Dan's uh, chapter that's about this stuff insane in Ukraine. But it's he's going to to members of Qatar. Like, are, are they sitting down? They're supposed to hopefully see like this sort of like sit down with members of the, uh, the Chinese delegation is going to sit down with members of the U.S. delegation, members of Ukraine, and maybe the workout that China is going to pressure Russia. Not happening. It's all so stupid and ugly. Since I brought him up, let me let me uh, do a quick call out to my buddy. Garrett O'Boyle's merch store. You guys can go over there if you want to check out. Um, I'm wearing the hoodie today. This is the light duty hoodie. They still have those in stock, it looks like. So you can check out the-suspendables. It's the-suspendables.com. The merch store supporting the O'Boyle family sweatshop. Lots of neat stuff in there. Let me reach. Uh, 
off off camera. Here we go. Um, we got this. Got these. These are really neat looking. If you if you do uh, if you want to put them on your plate carrier, remember the eagle goes downward, just like you're seeing on the chest. These are really good size too. It's like when I when I saw them, I was like, I don't know about all that, but this is like the size of a, of your of your palm or my palm. We've also still got the pins. You guys can check out the pins if you want to support the spendables. Easiest things you can do: patches and pins. Easy, no effort. Fire and forget. They're easy to hand out. You can carry them with you. They're a really nice little uh, little nice trinket that uh, shows your overwhelming support for what the O'Boyle family has gone through, which is to say that they are still waiting. By the way, he's still an official FBI employee, which is why that's his wife's company. He's an FBI employee with no paycheck going on into the year and a half mark. Marcus Allen, we're still keeping an eye on these guys. Like, we're not going to let them fall. But you guys can uh, show support, and you can actually wear your support at the-suspendables.com. And if you use the promo code KYLE, just like everywhere else, K-Y-L-E will save you some percentage on all this stuff. Thanks to... uh, Jen Chang for throwing that into the chat, the-spendables.com. Yeah. What else we got, guys? Like, <laughs> it's just, it's foolishness left and right. We can't help it. And so let's see some of the other things that were going on. This is another fun piece of Davos. Uh, why is Doug Emhoff, the husband of Kamala Harris, going to go speak? Anything? Anybody? And they're going to talk about anti-Semitism and gender equality. Oh, weird. Didn't we just kind of cover a little bit of that? We talked about how gender equality is such a big deal. Rich people flying off in private jets are going to go talk about gender equality plus anti-Semitism. In the meantime, Daily Wire has a lead piece today that shows that there are pro-Hamas, anti-Israel, you know, anti-Zionist protesters going on in London. Same time zone or damn near it. Just across the, uh, just across the channel there. <laughs> and what are they doing? They're, they're, they're saying we must normalize massacres. We have to be able to uh, normalize making people feel very uncomfortable. So there's your anti-Semitism right there. I don't understand how these people go out and represent us. Last year we saw Chris Ray. I think he probably got his lesson. He's not going to be doing that. We'll be talking a little bit later, probably on Friday with Steve Friend, about some of the, uh, the self-owns the FBI has been involved in. But... Um, yeah, second, the second man, second gentleman of the United States will be taking his advocacy campaign. Isn't that sad that we that we've made this guy like in the position of I don't know other unelected people, and now he's going to advocate against two things? Oh man, anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, right? Right, because we play both sides of the aisle. We don't want to upset all those pro-Hamas people. If you guys heard, there might be a government shutdown where they're going to actually walk off the job. Because of Biden's uh, Israel policy, because he's too pro-Israel and he's not supporting terrorists and uh, and and Hamas that are picked a fight and has been going on for eons. Interestingly, federal employees think they can walk off the job. Should be a Hatch Act violation. Um, we'll see tomorrow. I guess today is uh, the day they're actually supposed to be walked off. In any case, good to know. This is what the elites are focusing on: anti-Semitism and gender equality. Just the big important stuff. They don't really care about what's going on in our country. And they don't really care about the border. They just want to make sure they talk about their uh, their pet peeves as they all hang out together with a bunch of money. Uh, the last little thing that I wanted to cover down on, because, man, this is what they should be talking about. How about this? The global economy. Third straight year. What has been going on for three years? Oh, we had a, uh, uh, like a, what do they call them? The rotting bag of oatmeal? The Dan Bongino rotting bag of oatmeal sitting in the White House. And uh, if the United States is a pretty big driver of what goes on in the global economy, that in China. And the Chinese are dealing with sluggish growth. They're saying that we came out gangbusters in 2021, still under power from what was going on with the Trump recovery. 
and worldwide, 6.2% growth, then it slowed down to three the year before last, and then we just saw 2.6, and the projection is it's going to continue to grow at a slower and slower rate, 2.4 in 2024. They're hobbled by high interest, percentage of inflation, slumping trade, China's having a sluggish and difficult year, global tensions. Oh, yeah, because there's like a war. Oh, no, there's like multiple wars, right? There's a war in Israel with Hamas. There's a conflict. Uh, I like how it's now it's just it's been downrated from war, war to conflict, according to the AP. Uh, there's a conflict in Ukraine between Russia and Ukraine, which the United States continues to fuel with money and weapons and so on. And we must not slacken. Very interesting. They keep trying to tell you, though, you guys remember, because we had Janet Yellen's story the other day, and she said, she said very clearly, people are feeling very good about their financial positions, and their spending, you know, their spending indicates that. Have Have you ever wondered that when they look at these indicators, when they say that the spending indicates that people are very good with their, their financial situations and that people are starting new businesses, is it because the things that they were doing got them laid off and they have no other choice but to go out on their own? People who would otherwise be W-2 employees like me, I was more than happy making a paycheck. I didn't want to start my own media business. That's what I had to do. That's what the option was. That's what looked most favorable for me in that moment because all my skill sets basically were geared towards government service and that was a no-go. How many other people are in the same boat as me? Because I don't think I'm alone. And how many other people are spending money, not because they feel really good about it, but like, you know, my wife will throw something in the cart when we're going through Costco and the answer is always like, you know, are we thrilled about something, you know, bacon now cost 12 bucks more than it used to? We buy a big pack of bacon and it used to be, you know, I don't know, it used to be 14 bucks and, and now it's $26. And you're like, I don't know, we haven't changed our life dramatically. Yeah, people are spending money like they're feeling good about it. No, Janet Yellen, they're spending money because that's the only way that they're going to maintain the same thing they're doing. They're used to spending it and now it's just everything costs a lot more, a lot more. It's not good. We may even cover down on the uh, the economy a little bit with Steve on Friday because I've got some graphs. My cousin is a money guy, and he sent me some really, really interesting things. The deviation that happened uh, in the last couple of years from the baseline growth of the U.S. economy and the, the GDP per capita going back to the 1950s, it's basically always grown at a 2.1% rate. I'll show you guys the graphs on Friday. But it's always grown at about a 2.1 rate for the last like several decades. It goes back you know, well before my, my life. And we had a dramatic deviation. And uh, that was in 2008. And under Barack Obama, it basically separated from that line and it never, never went back. It's never gone back. Even the better, like even the recovery growth rate, not including COVID, was like 1.7. So that's a pretty dramatic drop off. And, um, you know, I don't know if we recover that sort of standard living, which which is to say those millennials and the Gen Z types that are all crying about it, it's, you know, things are harder, but they basically have been harder my whole adult life. You can still be successful if you don't act like a moron, if you're financially responsible. It's certainly a lot harder. We're hearing right now that federal uh, employees are also very scared that the federal government might shut down. We'll probably talk about this with Steve as well, but it, they're, they're worried it's going to shut down and they've done nothing to insulate themselves against it. This is the reason why we don't have more whistleblowers, folks. If you're curious, like, hey, how come people aren't coming out and saying there's all these abuses? We know that there's failures on the border. We know that Border Patrol people must be furious. They signed up to do something. How come they're not coming out in droves? And the answer is because financially, they have absolutely no cushion. None of these people are looking around and going, oh, my life is contingent on the success of a federal government. And if it doesn't do its job, like, I might be screwed. They don't put money away for a rainy day. One of the things that the suspendables were talking about, I'll just give you one last little piece on here. One little thing we were talking about 
is in 2018, end of 2018, I believe going into 2019, there was a question. I think we ended up having a sequester. And essentially, federal employees uh, like like my agency lost a paycheck, one paycheck for like a week. I think we were supposed to get paid on a Friday, and we didn't get paid until like the next Thursday. So it was like four or five days where we didn't get paid. But there was this looming specter. Like they had shut down, and then we went through the whole pay period. And then, of course, they trued it up, and they passed this bill, and everybody got back pay. But for those four or five days that we were looking at it, and even before we didn't get paid, they set up a, a food cantina in the basis of the government building, the Washington field office, where they were handing out canned goods for people who couldn't make ends meet, even though they hadn't even missed a paycheck yet because of the fear of missing a paycheck made people start getting all this kind of stuff. It's absolutely insane. It's just, these people are not responsible. And if you don't think that's the biggest threat to national security is a bunch of people who have security clearances that can't even afford to miss one paycheck... I mean, I'm not saying that everybody out there can do it. I'm just saying that if you have a national security clearance and you're paid by the federal government, should you not, should you not very simply be thinking, you know what, Uh, I'm going to be able to do this. I'm going to be able to do it because it's the right thing to do and I should be able to at least look into my own pockets and know that I'm not going to be compromised over something so simple. Let me throw something on the screen here because you guys, we just had a little, little rumble rant that is of value. Give me one sec here. There it is. Watch this. Throw this up here. The uh, the fact is, is there's a, the federal government is massively bloated. And there you have. Seek, you find Q. I haven't seen you on here before, but uh, thanks for, for the $10 rumble rant saying the federal government needs to be 20% of its current size. That's probably a stretch. That's the upside, like I said, of a Vivek Ramaswamy. That's the upside that he had. He was pushing the envelope saying we need to basically lessen, 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 and continue to lessen the size of our federal government, and he was giving concrete plans within the authority set that existed to be able to do that. So I do, these things all matter. That's why you don't attack everybody in the primary. It's worth looking at. All right, so there's an awful lot of garbage out there in the world. We've got something a little fun. How about the extreme rhetoric, which continues to go on? I've got a fun video for you guys to take a little, uh, just a breather as we go off into Tuesday. It's cold. This breather is called People will die. If you're not familiar with Reason TV, and this guy's name is Remy, he's on YouTube, he's got about a million followers on there. Um, definitely worth your time. Definitely if you need a little break in the action where you can listen to a catchy tune. He's got a lot of musical talents and also has a pretty compelling message. Almost every one of these these uh, things he does are quite fun. So enjoy this. People will die. Let's, uh, let's tune it down just a little bit, y'all. These cuts are blood money. People will die. Let's be very clear. Senate Republicans are paying for tax cuts for the wealthy with American lives. People need kidneys, it's sad but decreed, yet the senator's hoarding one more than she needs. I offer this bill and I hope you'll vote aye, unless of course you just want people to die. Traffic deaths have many crying with fear, over 30,000 people are dying each year. This modest change I propose must be applied, unless of course you just want people to die. Alcohol deaths are exceeding comparisons, black people, white people, Native Americans. We need to ban alcohol, it can't be denied, unless of course you just want people to die. Murders are bad. They have no defenders, yet many are committed by repeat offenders. I say lifetime in prison, whatever the crime, unless of course you just want people to die. I don't have a bill or a groan to detail. I just need a short clip for my donor email. Tim, there's blood on your hands.
hands. You want people to die. That good? Cool. Tim, dinner at five? Yeah. The car deaths I mentioned are terrible stuff. Doesn't seem one seatbelt is ever enough. You must vote for my act so that fewer will cry. Unless, of course, you just want people to die. The carbs, the container, we cannot ignore. Whipped cream's killing more people than ever before. This bill would be passed and be ratified if those people there didn't want people to die. Why not weigh all the costs, the effects, the results? Empathize with each other as if we were adults. Use our brains to craft arguments, not vilify. See that freedom's a traitor. You want people to die! I tried. Crossing the street is incredibly tough. People look left and right, but rarely look up. My bill would mandate that we're in. <laughs> Crossing the street. Yeah, if you guys missed that, it's Reason TV on YouTube. The guy's name is Remy, R-E-M-Y. You should be able to search it. You can find a lot of this stuff. He has some really, really good stuff that's um, copies of country songs. I think he even did a cover of the uh, Richmond, North of Richmond, which is quite funny. All of his stuff's really good. We'll, we'll probably play some more. I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, put Pocahontas in her place. I like that he says Native Americans, and it cuts back. Very clever guy, and hitting it out there. All right, folks, that's where we're at for the day. I hope you guys walk out and you know a little more about what they're looking at, what you're looking at, and Nikki Haley. Are we in the Never Nikki camp yet? I think everybody in the chat was, so I appreciate that. Let me do a quick five-star review. Here we go. This is from UTMKT3913, and uh, UTM, I saw you in the chat earlier today, so we're reading your five-star review. It's called The Most Interesting Podcast in the World, Five Stars. I don't always consume podcasts, but when I do, I prefer The Kyle Serafin Show. I don't know why I felt like that was the way that it had to be read, but that's the way I felt it needed to be read. Folks, we appreciate you guys. Uh, make sure you are leaving us a five-star review if you are listening to us in any of the audio platforms, whether it's Spotify, iHeartRadio, whether it's on your Alexa spyware device or Apple. If you are watching on rumble.com slash Kyle Seraphin, go ahead and give us a thumbs up. Make sure you are following the channel. We appreciate you guys doing that. And uh, for all of you who are watching on Twitter X. Yes, it is still Twitter. If you guys type in x.com, it redirects to Twitter. Uh, we appreciate you. I see all of you out there. And uh, join us for the live chat. You guys come for the content, but you stay for the live chat. At least that's what I'm told. It looks insane, and I can't keep track of it. So we'll see you guys again tomorrow with a good interview of Dr. J. Michael Waller. And I will be out of town, but you guys will have live Kyle Serafin Show streaming. Same time, 0930 Eastern Time, or 830 here in Central, in Texas, America. God bless y'all. Be safe. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rubble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.